Hey, Trace. How you doing? I'm good. i got Brian in the back of the car for you. I've arrived at the home of my good friend, Steve Austin. He's the best dog trainer in Australia and possibly the world. I'm here to meet his team of scent detection dogs and see them at work. I've also brought my own out-of-control puppy along for the day in the hope that Steve will be able to train and tame him. Give him to me. Okay. Good boy. Hello, Brian. How you doing? That's now, Steve. Now, what I'm going to do, so everything is happy and safe, I'm going to take him over this, just to this little tree here. It doesn't take Steve long to see straight through Brian's over-the-top behaviour. Well, he's got a few little issues. One is probably just over-excitement and initially a dog that hasn't got... Uh, enough training put into him per se. See how he jumps up on you? Yes, Stuff like that. that's very annoying. So jumping up on people, uh, you know, is one problem that he's got, I would imagine. And just being, you tell me on the phone that he barks a lot. Yeah, he's been barking. So we're going to take care of that. Steve says that the key element to training a dog well is consistency. And that's his focus for me today as well. You know what I do to my dog handlers? I give them a mirror, little handheld mirror. And I say, look into it. I say, we're looking. I say, what do you see? Oh, I don't know. I said, that's your dog's biggest problem right there. And we are the problem. Not you and me. All of us are the problem towards our dog. Humans are the problem. Steve's working dogs are waiting patiently and quietly in their kennels while Brian is running around barking. I think that Steve may have met his match. We'll go and have a look at some drug dogs. We'll have a look at a very good dog that's uh, finding... Plains Wanderer, a very rare bird. And if you don't know what you're doing with these dogs, you're going to have the best detector dog or the worst pet in the world. OK, we'll talk about pets. I know, that's Brian in the background. Steve. Oh, no, don't. Oh, it's only a spray. So what you're doing there is every time Brian barks, he gets exactly what he doesn't want. What he's barking for is attention. He'll learn very quickly that when he barks, he doesn't get attention. He gets something unpleasant. So it's just a, a, a nice little way of saying to Brian, when you're quiet, we're going to go over there and reward him with chicken. So now's the time I go up to Brian because he's nice and quiet. Good boy, mate. Good boy. That's a good boy. Yeah. There you go. Good boy. Good boy. He's being and very submissive to you. Oh, no, because he, he's got to learn clarity in his mind. He doesn't know what he should or what he shouldn't do because he's barked at home and he's got mixed messages. So we've got to say to Brian, barking is not allowed 100% of the time. Here's a good example. You're sitting by the pool, lovely day, having a martini, beer, you know, whatever your choice, and you want to call the dog over to give it a pat. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to be prepared to put the beer, the martini, the scotch and dry, whatever you, or the lemonade, whatever you're drinking, down, you have to prepare to get up off that sun lounge. Mm. You have to prepare to go and get the dog and bring it towards you if it doesn't come. Before you call the dog, are you prepared to follow through? Oh, no, not really. Well, then don't call the dog. If you are going to call the dog, 
be prepared to follow through, otherwise don't do it. And that's where mistakes are made constantly with training animals. In case you're wondering, that's Brian trying to eat my microphone. They call the dog, oh, well, it doesn't matter. And in the end, the dog goes, he called me five times yesterday and didn't tell him, why should I come today? You know, it's really important. Good boy, Brian. Good boy, Brian. Good boy, darling. Come on, I'll show you some more dogs. What is it about working with dogs that you, you love so much? I mean, other than obviously getting the satisfaction of seeing them work and mm. helping the environment, etc. But you must love being around dogs. Well, I do. I love, I love it. Dogs are quite interesting creatures because a canine is an animal that wants to be around people. A horse, a cow, they tolerate us. But a dog wants to be around us. They want to please us. And so with that sort of interwinding connection, we can then develop that relationship and get the dog to do some amazing things, really amazing things. This is Denny. Denny's being trained for water detection, leaky water pipes. Molly for the bird, Plains Wanderer. Um, Macca, he's a puppy. We haven't decided what he's going to do yet, but he'll, he'll do something quite well. We've got a program now. Uh, we get dogs from the pound. We give them to inmates at uh, up in Bathurst Jail in New South Wales. The inmates train the dogs for return combat soldier that's suffering from PTSD. And those dogs turn everyone's lives around. They turn the inmates' lives around because it gives them discipline, result-orientated work. It obviously turns the return combat soldier around with PTSD, some amazing stories they have. And they turn my life and the trainer's lives around because we get a dog that's basically going to be put to sleep and in eight to ten weeks this is this amazing dog that's saving people's lives. So what more motivation do you need? So some dogs are trained to find endangered species and some dogs are trained to find the animals that kill our endangered species. So like you can feral see cats. feral cat in particular are not pleasant. And foxes, again, they, they do a lot of damage. So, um, and then there's cane toad dogs. We've got a cane toad dog in there as well. So, yeah, they're all, all detection dogs. But I think what I like you to see is that every single dog wants to be with me because when I take my dogs out, I give them the best time in their lives. The dogs I've always found most fascinating are the ones who are trained in narcotics, and this is one of Steve's fortes. He takes me around the training course he's built for them. So this is where you train your dogs to find stuff because you're a specialist in scent detection work, mm. aren't you? Well, as you can see, yeah. we have... It seems to be, to the uninitiated, a bit of a hocus-pocus of cupboards and walls and things and stuff, but... I've made it like this because I, only, I can store my gear in here, but also to, I want it to be as real as I can. Okay. The clear point is the scent wall. So it's you, a wall with lots of pipes? Well, yes. The, the numbers on the front, that's what the dog sees. All they see is a hole, which is the size of a PCV pipe, right? At the back, we have two sections. We have the section where we put the odour, which is in there. Right. You can see the grate up the top. This section here, we put the electronic delivery there, which is a tennis ball. So that's the reward for finding the scent, okay. is it? So what you'll see is that when the dog comes to the hole that's got the odour in it, I then say the magic word, which is the yes word, and then I press the button. And... The ball should drop. So a tennis ball comes out and that tennis ball is that dog's reward, is That's that right? That's the dog's reward. You can use food too if you want to. So the key to the exercise is, is that 
the dog then learns to do this completely and totally by itself. So the dog will go up, and I just sort of guide it. So that odour is very strong. It might be a narcotic or it might be an explosive or it might be whatever I'm training the dog to do. The dog goes, what's that? You know, that's a pretty unusual smell. As soon as he puts his nose near the hole, I go, yes. Ball drops out. Dog goes, wow, that odour is pretty good. Because every time I stick my nose in that odour, something really pleasant happens. And there you've got basic training 101, just the same as we've done with Brian. Except in Brian's case, it was a chicken that was motivating him. You're correct, yeah. So yeah. what sort of drugs do you shove down that pipe? Oh, well, whatever drugs you're training the dogs to do, you can do the, the common drugs, cocaine, heroin and so forth. We use a product called Scent Logic, which is a very good product. It's a... Uh, it's a drug, it's a compound for powder that's made particularly for canine training, specifically. So it's not a real, real drug as far as usage is concerned, but it has the same odour as those drugs. Completely harmless, completely useless as far as a drug is concerned, but the scent of it is, is exactly the same as the dogs would find in the real world. So how do the dogs see this wall? Do they see it as a game? Uh, t- totally. Totally. So what I'll do, I'll go and get some gear. I'll put it in one of the holes for you. You can select which one. you Pick a number. Which number would you like? I like number six. Number six? I'll go get number six. I'll put it in there. I'll get Django out and we'll see what he can do. All right? What's he going to be sniffing for? Your choice. Bit of heroin? Heroin. <coughs> Done. Steve goes to get Django, a huge German shepherd who acted as Steve's personal bodyguard when we first arrived at the property. Put the lid on. And now we're going to bring Django in. And all I'm going to say to Django is, where's the dope? Find it. And then if he gets to number six, he'll do a reaction, which is a bit of a claw, and then he'll put his nose in. He won't move. Then when he's still enough, I'll say the Y-E-S word, the yes word, and press the button, and it's happy days. And he gets a reward. And he gets his reward, yeah? So let's... tennis ball. Let's see, in theory, if it works, all right? So I'm going to say the magic word. Notice what I do first is he has to look at my eyes. He's very attentive, Steve. He's very attentive, and his reward is being sent, right? So he has to do something first before I release him. So he has to look at me, and when he does the right thing, I release him. Where's the dope? Where's the dope? Find it. Straight away, Django's gone to number six. Yes. Oh, you're a good boy. Oh, he's a good boy. And he never, ever, ever misses. Now, you can change that to any number you want. He will find it 100% of the time. He's very pleased with himself, Steve. He's very happy with himself. If you put bad guys away, you'd be happy too. Have you trained him to do explosives as well? No, no, because you don't want to train him to do explosives and drugs. Because if there's a bag laying there and you don't know what's in there, if you think, is it explosives or it's drugs, you're not going to open it, are you? No. No, because if it's... The dog goes, well, I can... He can easily find explosives. He can train a dog to find both. But it's the opening of that bag that you don't know what it is. So when you're doing explosives, you only want explosives and nothing else. Can I train Brian to find some dope? If you want to. You've got a teenage son, though, haven't you? Maybe you don't want to. You like working with pound dogs. Why is that? I think it's 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 everybody needs a chance, and and sometimes if you're given the chance, you can excel. But it's getting that person to give you excel. I mean, I was a federal officer 
of Australian Quarantine Inspection Service for, I think, 10 years or was. And all our dogs that we got into the airport were from Pounds. And it seems to me sometimes you see a dog and, a, and or a person, all they need is the right guidance and they can turn into something really special. And giving them the guidance is the key, I think. So take us through that process. You walk into a pound. What are you looking for in that pound dog? Right. That says to you, that dog's going to make a great working dog. Okay, so... The most important thing that we want in a detection dog is complete and total, absolute ADD chaos, naughtiest dog in the world, right? Dog that jumps all over you, dog that wants to get out of that cage, the dog that wants to eat its food 10 times faster, the dog that wants to chase that ball 100 times faster, a dog that's hyped up, outgoing, happy. That's what we want because we get that dog and then we can channel all those things into you find the odour, you get your reward. So we want a highly driven dog with a high reward-based process, healthy and happy, and that's the dogs we pick. Steve, does he only form close associations with you because you're just the master? It's a very, very good question because what I do is I train dogs, okay? And I train dogs for organisations that have handlers and then I train the handler. When I change the dog over, it is important to understand that the handler has to be trained as well. So that's why we use the whistle commands. That's why I use the same consistency commands. And when I say to the, to the I go to Lord Howe Island or wherever I go, this is the dogs now. As soon as I hand the dogs over to the handlers and I train them, I never touch the dog. I never pat the dog. I never feed the dog. I have to cut myself completely off the dog so the handlers do get that bond up all the time. It's really important to understand that. Does it kills confuse me. the... It kills me. I'm, oh, I'm sure kills it would me. kill you to pass on, on that attachment it to kills someone me. else. But, but to, if you want success and you want the dogs to go out there and do the job they've got to do, you've got to be very, very clear in your mind that once you hand the dog over, that's it. It's hard for me to imagine Steve letting go of a dog so easily. Steve's wife, Vicky, is also a dog trainer. She tells me that Steve does still hold one dog close to his heart. All that emotional energy you put into the dogs, I mean, all the training and the work and the effort, it must be terrible when, unfortunately, one passes away. I mean, how do you guys deal with that when your heart's so connected to these animals? Yeah, look, it's, as every dog lover knows, it's it's the worst experience to go through. Uh, you know, you, you look at your dogs as they age and you know it's coming. You know, you sort of prepare yourself, but I guess the worst ones, the worst ones are when a dog dies before it's time. And uh, that's when you, you're not ready, you're not expecting it. And uh, they're the ones that really kill us, I think. Well, I remember King, poor old King. That was just devastating. Uh, Steve's Rottweiler, he was really absolutely, you know, devastated. It's the only word. And you too. Yeah. It took him a long time to get over King. It did. It did. And uh, he still thinks incredibly wistfully over, you know, King's memory. It, um, it affected us both, but probably no more so than Steve. I mean, he... It was just the worst experience. I, I hated watching him go through that pain. It was, uh, it broke my heart watching Steve go through it as much as it broke my heart losing King. He really was a superb dog, an incredibly special dog for Steve, an accidental dog for Steve. He'd never planned to have a Rottweiler. And uh, those two came together and they were meant to be together. It was, um, 
a fantastic thing and to, to lose that dog before his time just was not fair. Did you, did you work out what happened in the end? We don't know for sure. Steve came out one morning to find him dead and um, we don't know whether, it, I mean, potentially it could have been a snake but we couldn't find a snake bite on him anywhere. It could have been um, they'd had, you know, chicken wings for dinner the night before but we couldn't find anything caught in his throat so we don't conclusively know. I remember meeting King. That was one of the first dogs I met of Steve's. And he was, meet King, it was like, oh, he was just such an energetic, you know, what am I doing? Where am I going? A bit yep. like Steve, really, yep. in a way. Yep, very yeah, much like Steve. to go, yeah. 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 Oh, that was Happy sad. to relax between times, but boy, when it was time to go, he was ready. <laughs> Tell us about you growing up. Were you looking for adventure? Was it a happy childhood? Yeah, look, it was okay. My dad died when I was nine and um, my mother gave birth to me at 46. So it was um, an interesting life being brought up. And um, I think physically I had a good life. Emotionally it was a bit bit strange in a lot of ways because of the, the family upbringing of the family, you know, the sisters and my brothers were very old and I was very, very young and I didn't have that family sister, brother, sister sort of connection as they grew up. I found a lot of um, solace in having animals around me. Um, started off with uh, dogs, of course, a goldfish, uh, pigeons. So having animals around me was very good because I didn't have anyone else in the house to have. So the animals played a big, important part in my life when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Steve, what was the turning point for you in your life, you know, the light bulb moment that said, look, I really want to dedicate my life to training dogs, I really want to pursue that as a career? There's probably more than one, but one that comes to mind really quickly, I went into competition to achieve a very basic obedience title. You had to have three passes of 170 out of 200 to get a pass, which was called Companion Dog. And I achieved that one, two, three in a row. One, two, three, bang, got it. And with good scores. And that started the ball rolling. And I started off from very small places, went higher and higher and higher into obedience, went from obedience to gun dog trialling and gun dog training. But I can remember the, the thrill of having that success of doing something, achieving it, and being recognised for it. That was really important to me, being recognised. So that was important. That was the start of the whole journey. Do you think that recognition was so important to you because maybe you didn't get that as a kid? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I was an athlete, runner, football player, but I used to do all those things because outside of the family, those people recognised it, you know, but inside they didn't. So getting recognition was very important to me, you know, as probably still is, and that's probably why I do a lot of things as well. But I've bit of sort of changed now because the environmental part of my life um, and the journey through saving our uh, native species has really taken hold of what I do now uh, more than anything else. So what drives you to, to keep wanting to be the best and do what you do and work with dogs? What is it about oh, the your need, work? The need, Tracy. The need. There's a need out there that we have to take very clear understanding of our environment and what's in it. And if someone doesn't do something, it's going to go down the gurgler. So, you know, I feel that in life that if you see an ill and you walk past it, that, that misdeed, 
uh, you're just as guilty as the person that's committing it. So I've decided that although it might be small in some ex- respects, I'm not going to go into the grave until I've done everything I can to help the environment and in particular endangered species and in particular our native species. So that drives me all the time. Steve, so we're going to get Molly. What's Molly's job? Molly's job is to find and help save one of Australia's rarest birds, if not the rarest bird, which is called the Plains Wanderer. Now, it's a very interesting bird because it's similar to the emu where the female lays the eggs and the male hatches the eggs and looks after the babies. So it's uh, it's a very interesting bird. Very rare. Uh, Foxes and cats have decimated the population. Uh, Where is it found in Australia? Central sort of New South Wales on the Victorian border, that central area in there. So what I've done, I've... I can't use a live bird because they're so rare, right? So what I've asked Tronga Zoo, and they've been excellent to help me, they've sent me uh, certain parts of the bird uh, that they found in their cages that they've got in the zoo. Like feathers? Yeah, well, up here, I've got a little tube in the tree here. Oh, that's minute. Now, in that tube, you can see a tiny feather. Now, it's about half the size of your thumbnail. See the feather? I can see the feather. Right. And the, and the little container's got holes in it. Yeah, it's got holes in it. And underneath the feather, there's two scats, which are about the size of a grain of rice. That's so the scat is a poo, is the it? Scat is the scat is the poo of, of the bird. So that's the only odour I've got to train the dog on. What the dog has got to do, he's got to come down, search the area, find where the scat and the scent is, and hold position. Hold position means it must not touch the bird. So then the Department of Environment Heritage will then decide if they'll maybe remove the eggs and hatch them in a safe environment away from cat and fox. Maybe they just want to count the eggs and count the birds and see the health and so forth. So my job is to say to the scientist, there's your bird, that's my job or the dog's job, and then they have to put in the requirements that will help save that bird, whatever they may be, right? So what I'll do, I'll go get Molly, I'm going to send her out. She's a ball dog reward. I still use the same command as I use for your dog, the YES word, which says behaviour correct reward is coming. I'll do all that. And the training that I've done for Molly is no different in technical terms than I've done for Brian, right? Technically, consistency. Technically, finding the right reward for her, which was the ball. And absolutely perfect timing with a condition reinforcer. So... I've done, in a technical sense, no different than I've done with Brian today. And tell us about Molly. What sort of dog is she and how old is she? And Molly is a, uh, a beautiful little dog. She's a uh, 10-month-old, 11-month-old working English Springer Spaniel. She was bred not too far up the road. She was originally uh, sold by the breeder as a truffle detection dog, but um, the company that bought her, the organisation that bought her, wanted her to interact with people after they, in the truffle hunt. And Molly didn't like people, or didn't like those people. So she just wanted to work, did she? Wanted to work, and then they didn't want that, so they breeder got her back and they said do you want her and I said I had a look at her and um, she was very skittish and very off people for first couple of weeks but as you will see I brought her around and now she's just an absolute cracker. So what is it about the way you approach 
training a dog that makes you so successful? Made a lot of mistakes. Tons of them. Used to yell at them. Unfortunately, I used to be hard on them because we knew nothing else in those days. You had to say, you'll sit down, you bad dog, and you will sit and stay. But then, you know, you think about it, and that's how I was taught at school too, you know. Um, if I gave the right answer, I got grunted at. If I gave the wrong answer, I was, I was called an imbecile or, or worse. And you learn as you go on. And the most important thing is that you do learn by those mistakes. And that's what taught me to be where I am today is I'd learnt by my mistakes and I was getting some results from some of those dogs. Now I'm getting all results from all the dogs and that's the difference between the two techniques that I'm using now. Molly, you ready? I got the ball. I know, I know. See, I like this because there's the ball. She's jumping up. Come on, just stop talking and throw the ball. Can't wait to work. Can't wait. But I channel that. See that energy? Mm. See that? See her jumping up? See mm. it jumping up? She says, come on, let's go. And I say, yeah, we'll go. But we'll go on my terms, not your terms. So she has to I'll get my whistle out ready. She has to go out. I take the lead off. Good dog. Where's the bird? Where's the bird? Ready? Find. I want to be the leader of the dogs that I train in a sense, but I'm not a hard leader. I'm not a yelling and screaming leader. And I think that that's really important to understand. I think a leader is somebody that the dogs respect, the dogs want to be around, and most importantly, a leader that the dogs feel safe with. And I think if you want a, a leader in a political sense or a family sense or a personal sense, it's always that person that you feel good around, that you feel safe around, and that's what I think I want to be with my dogs. Molly runs frantically around Steve's acreage looking for the bird scent. Does she know what she's looking for? Absolutely. But it's a very, very difficult find. It's difficult because it's small or it's difficult because the odour's not strong? It's not strong. So if I blow the whistle twice, she changes direction. But at the moment, she's doing very good. Still looking? Yeah, still looking. Oh, she's getting close. I haven't got much wind Almost. here to work with, but we'll just let her go. Oh, she's circling in. No. Nope. Where is it? Show me. Show me properly. So Molly's sitting. Show me properly. Good girl. She got a whiff. Yes. All of a sudden, Molly sits under the tree and looks up. Goodness. Good girl, you champion dog. Oh, you fantastic. are good girl. That it is one of the best dogs you'll see in the world. That, I reckon. That was amazing. To find that odour like that is, is even makes me amazed. Is she only trained to find that bird? Correct. Nothing else. If that's going to be her job forever? Forever. So what do you reckon dogs can teach us? They teach us patience. They teach us that if we take small steps of success, we'll get there because dogs don't like to learn in big jumps. I have a program where I go one step, 10 successes in a row, then I go to the next step, 10 successes in a row. If we can take that lesson off them and they learn very easily like that, I think sometimes, you know, we rush things too much. They teach us to take it easy, take it patience. Dogs live for today. 
They don't worry about tomorrow, and yesterday's gone anyway, so just live for today. They're the things that they've taught me. Watching you work with the dogs, it's almost like you were having a conversation with them and you knew what they were thinking. Yeah. Mm. How do you get that connection with them? It's a very good question, and I think the simple answer is listen with your eyes. Don't listen with your ears. Listen with your eyes. Watch the dog, and you'll learn a lot more. Do... Practical work. I, I meet a lot of people, Tracy, that are very good in the theory of training dogs, but cannot practically get a dog to sit, drop, and stay. The basic one-on-one, they can't do it. But they know all the, you know, the science. And science. Let me tell you before I go on. Science is critically important, critically important in training dogs. But there's nothing like experience. And I think I've made it my sort of way to train and to go and see dogs be trained in as many different fields as possible. I go and see a dog that's being trained and I go up to that handler and train and say, why does your dog do that? How do you get your dog to do that? If you want a tip to become a good dog trainer, the best thing to do is train dogs. You can read all the read, you can see all the videos, you can watch all the YouTubes, but if you want to become really good at your craft and your art, get out there and do it. You take a musician, they have to practice. You say a painter has to paint. You know, an artist has to act. And you get out there and the more you do it, the better you get at it. So get in next to your dog, be firm, calm and quiet and reward your dog for sitting up looking at you, right? Okay. I will point to you and that's when you will say why yes and reward the dog. Just not moving him yet, just getting him sitting. So get a little bit of chicken in your hand, hold the lead in your left hand like so, right hand free. You ready? Go. Grab your dog. So you're teaching me to walk Brian calmly on the lead. Yes, and the first thing we're going to do is teach Brian calmly to sit beside you. Okay, sh- let him smell the reward. Yeah, Brian, smell my chicken. Now, sit. Now, wait, wait, watch my hand. Now, that's not the position I want. So you move him. Now, you stand still and move the dog back to you. You're in control, right? Okay. Not the dog. Right, so get him to be there. Good. Yep. Now, watch. Good when point. I point to you, you say why yes and do it. Get him next to you. Okay, come what, on, Brian. Why are you walking funny? Why? Are you, what shoes? They're lovely shoes, but I don't think they're dog training shoes. I'm, walk, I'm walking right. funny because Brian is actually... Okay, sit him up. ...pulling me all over the shop. Okay. Okay, now get your chalk. Give me the chicken and I'll hand it to you, all right? Okay, so, so I'm holding the lead with my left what, hand. Yeah, is that and right? And then reward with the right. Yeah, i reward with the right. And then say, why yes when I point to you? Yes. Ten out of ten. Yay. Perfect. Perfect. And that is the start of teaching your dog a multitude of exercises. When you sit calm and quiet and you look at me, I reward you. And from then on, we can go to all the other steps from then on. But we've got to get that one right first. Did you ever think, looking now at what you've done during the past 30 years, that you would have had the adventure in the life and the people that you've met and the dogs that you've trained? Could you ever have imagined it? Never. I always wanted to be a trainer of dogs for natural work, you know, gun dog work or or something. But I never, ever thought I'd go to Macquarie Island. I never thought I'd be training dogs to save Lord Howe Island, get the rats off Lord Howe Island. Um, I've been to Africa. 
I've trained dogs in the Czech Republic and I've judged the European Drug Searching Championships, gone to the States, gone out on jobs with police departments and seen their dogs work, real jobs in real life, you know. Unbelievable when you think about it. Thinking that, you know, not so long ago you're down at the local dog club saying, forward, sit, your dogs, give them a pat. So, if you watch what I'm going to do now, speak quietly, focus your dog, Yes. Yes. Isn't he lovely? Now one little step, maybe two. Heel. Yes. Oh, what a clever dog. Good boy. And that, what I just did then, is a perfect training session. It was, how long was that? 15 seconds, 10 seconds? I just have to replicate all that at home without you, Steve. It's exactly right. But I'm on the phone. What's the most important thing we can do for our pet dogs, do you think, to make them happy? Um, the most important thing would be to make sure their emotional and physical needs are met. Exercise them and give them as much variety as you possibly can in exercise, swimming areas to take them, walk them and get them out in the wind, the rain, the sleet, the snow and give them all that experiences out there. Give them good food and a comfortable and nice place to sleep and give them lots and lots of love. They don't need much. Dogs don't need much. But geez, they give you back ten, a hundred times, a thousand times more than you give them. After the day with Steve, Brian was absolutely smashed. He slept the whole hour and a half drive home. I gave him his dinner and he went straight into his kennel and he was out like a light. Since that day, I've seen a huge improvement. He stopped barking. He's still jumping up on people a little bit, so we do have some work to do, but I can't believe how much he's turned around after just one session. Steve really is the best at what he does, and he's taught me that dogs absolutely are a reflection of their owners. So I know that I still have some work to do as well, but Brian really does seem like a much happier dog. And if Brian's happy, I'm happy. We're All Animals was presented by me, Tracy Preston, producer Lou Dimovich, executive producer Liv Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic, creative direction by Jennifer Goggin.